0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for November 21st, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be looking at a bunch of news, including the Murder on the Orient Express sequel that has been announced, Justice League's projected losses, Paramount has VR movie theater in the plans, the first plot details for Quentin Tarantino's next movie, and more studios are in talks to buy Fox and what that could mean for the future of the x-men universe and uh disney pixar head john Lasseter has stepped down amidst allegations uh sexual harassment allegations we'll get into that we'll dive deep uh into that a little bit later uh this is peter Soda, and joining me on today's podcast is slash film senior writer ben pearson hey what's going on and writer chris evangelista
2: hello
1: and chris actually has a mic this time not yes. that not, not, not that he didn't have a mic. Apparently he he has had a mic, but uh his computer kept on changing it to his computer to record uh from the computer mic. And uh so we 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 have heard we have heard your um your emails, your messages and uh Chris will hopefully sound 100 times better today. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> he still has the gruff gr- gruff voice. We, we we can't alter that. That's that's yeah. just that's just him. I'm I'm stuck with that. So sorry. (laughs) Uh, I know I promised yesterday that we would be talking about news other than Justice League news, but we just can't get away from the Justice League news. Uh, Today, we have learned that Justice League is projected to lose 50 to 100 million. Ben, what do we know? I mean, that's
0: essentially it. There's a, a report at Forbes that says that the film, which opened to $94 million in its opening weekend domestically, uh, which is the lowest grossing opening for a, a DC Extended Universe movie, uh, is now on track to lose between $50 and $100 million for Warner Brothers. And the reason for that is because the budget is estimated to be about 300 million. And there's theoretically 150 million on top of that in marketing costs. This is something we talked about yesterday. But uh, now, you know, some people have like crunched the numbers. And that seems to be, you know, based on how the film has performed thus far, uh, an estimate of how much the movie will possibly lose and this is not great news for Warner Brothers who's expecting this to be their biggest movie yet and uh, that lowest grossing opening for the DCEU is uh, is a you know a um, a title that you would maybe expect A smaller film to hold not you know one of their biggest movies that uh brings all of their major heroes together so this has got to be nothing but a disappointment for them
1: yeah we we should note that warner brothers the studio does not release any of these numbers we don't know the actual budget we don't know the actual marketing budgets so these are all estimates but uh you know usually you know someone like forbes uh has a good idea Of uh, where it is Uh, and we've already talked at length of uh, what what is going to happen to the DCEU following Justice League Um, so I'm not going to get into that question because we've already done that to death so let's just move on in the news Um, Murder on the Orient Express is a movie that I didn't think would do that well but apparently it is going to get a sequel Chris what do we know
2: right so we're apparently going to get the Agatha Christie uh, cinematic universe now because Kenneth Brana and Michael Green, who were the team behind Murder on the Orient Express, are coming back to do Death on the Nile, which is the next book in the Poro uh, series from Agatha Christie. And like uh, Orient Express, it's another story where there's a big cast so that you can have another all-star cast again. So um, I didn't realize Orient Express did that well, but apparently it did well enough to keep this series going.
1: Now, Ben, I know that you were very much looking forward to Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, did you end up seeing it? I did. Yes. What, um, what do you think about this news?
0: So I'm torn because I actually sort of like the idea of seeing uh, more of Kenneth Branagh's Poirot because I liked his interpretation of that character. I did not really care for his directing and the the movie adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express very much. I thought that every decision that they made that changed things from the way that the story originally played out In Agatha Christie's novel was a mistake And made the story actively worse um, But <laughs> uh, But I, And and I was not a fan of Brana's direction So I, I feel like if he uh, Sort of maybe If he writes the screenplay with Michael Green Or I don't know if If there's some way for him to Not direct the next movie But star in it I would be totally cool with that And I love the idea of um. Yeah, just following his character in these like ridiculous adventures that he goes on. I know a lot of people were pleasantly surprised by Murder on the Orient Express, and and you know are very much looking forward to this sequel. And I'm I'm definitely like uh, optimistic about the chances for a sequel being better than this most recent movie because I just wasn't crazy about the most recent film.
1: See, I feel like this happens to me a lot when I read the book before I see the movie. And that's typically why I don't read books before I see the movie, because I I want to uh, not be disappointed in my preferred uh, medium of choice. Um, So I'm wondering if it's if if that would be something, I wonder if other people that have read the books were also as disappointed as you. Be yeah, a... and, and you know, it's worth mentioning, mentioning that
0: I watched the uh, the 1974 I think, adaptation of the novel uh, before I saw this new film, and while that one was slower, I think that was a better adaptation, so I'm not like against adaptations, uh, I- you know, in general, I just think this one wasn't particularly well executed, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of like, okay, more pro, sure,
1: yeah let's go for it. So virtual reality is the next big thing. And, uh, you know, virtual reality movie theaters have been popping up all over the place, all over the globe. Uh, ben and I both covered uh, I, the launch of IMAX's VR center in L.A. Uh, a couple of years back. Uh, but most of these virtual reality centers are kind of like you in like a little room by yourself doing a virtual reality experience. Uh, now Paramount is announcing that they are actually – uh, creating a virtual reality movie theater, which would have many people in seats in a movie theater setting with virtual reality headsets. Ben, w- what is going on here?
0: Yes. So, to be clear, uh, there's a big difference between these brick-and-mortar locations, like the the IMAX one you were just talking about, and what Paramount is doing here. So, they've they've teamed up with a company called Big Screen, and they are launching a completely virtual theater experience that begins next month so consumers who have any brand of virtual reality headset at home just sign into this website and you enter a virtual reality theater where you can you know from the comfort of your couch walk in you know walk in quotes into this theater and like pass uh theatrical one sheets on the wall and you know pick your seat in, a, in a, a virtual room that looks just like a theater and watch a movie. Uh, and they'll play trailers and stuff like that beforehand. So um, some v- VR designers have sort of simulated experiences like this before. But the new angle here, as far as I can tell, is that uh, moviegoers will be seated in this virtual audience where they can chat before the movie starts to people who are sitting around them. Um, So it's sort of like a they're introducing like a social aspect to it. Um, I have to assume that the volume of the people in your virtual theater will be muted or silenced, you know, as soon as the movie begins. But because but th- otherwise then what,
1: what what is the point of do of watching a movie with all these people if you can't hear them? Like I right. I feel like part yeah. of the, the, the reason why I see movies in theaters for that kind of like reaction to jokes or scares or do you know what I mean? Like being part right. of that yeah. communal experience.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, t- I haven't heard their official reasoning for why they're doing this, but my understanding or my sort of read on this would be like, this sounds perfect for somebody like Chris, ironically, who's on the show right now, who, who, uh, Chris, I don't want to fully speak to you and I want you to answer to this in a second, but it sounds like you're not crazy about the theatrical experience as it is right now. And this seems like a way for you to sort of get like a, a simulated version of that without dealing with the, the downsides of physically leaving your House and going to, uh, you know, deal with all the people who are in an actual theater. What do you think about this?
2: Yeah, that sounds great to me. Honestly, I, I love the idea of being to being able to mute everyone around me. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy about virtual reality, but I like that idea. And yeah, I I, I feel like, again, this is my own personal uh, view, but I feel like going to the movies now has become like a, a nightmare where people just don't shut up through the movie and. I'm fine with cutting all that out. So if this is a way to do that, sure, I support it. (laughs) Yeah. So
0: I'm not sure what the difference is between this and like watching a movie on VOD, uh, other than just you're wearing a headset the whole time and you're sort of in what appears to be a theater. So, uh, but like, you know, I don't know what the resolution is really going to be like. Like how how great a a viewing experience is that really going to be? We're not quite sure yet. But December third is when. This program is launching and consumers will be able to watch Top Gun 3D for free. Uh, So you can go to my article on SlashFilm.com and read about this and figure out how to, you know, what website to go to and all that stuff if you're interested in that.
1: Yeah, my my experiences with uh, VR headsets have been like most of them are, even the high resolution ones, you can still see the pixels. So I feel like I would rather see, you know, something on my TV than, you know, a screen uh, implanted, or not implanted, like just up against my head. Right. Um, uh, th- th- I think one of the advantages are, and I, I've seen some te- like some. There are some apps out there for VR headsets to let you see something in a movie theater. Like you just, but I think you're by yourself. Um, the the advantages you could literally be in your home and feel like you're watching an IMAX movie. Like it, like the screen appears to be that big, mm-hmm. uh, not just like. um And not, not in the sense of like, you know, I could, you know, you could take your 60 inch TV and go up, you know, three feet away from it and it will look big. Not in that sense. It like feels like you were in a movie theater watching an IMAX, you know, screen, Um, which is kind of cool. But, uh. I don't know. I, I'm I'm very curious on the how VR is going to change the future of of movie watching. I I don't think this is it, but we'll see. But I mean, yeah, if they if
0: they uh, allow you to you know pay a discounted rate or something like that, I can totally see you know five or ten years from now this becoming just a normal way of watching movies for people because it's got to be cheaper than physically leaving your house and going and buying concessions and all that kind of stuff. And it seems like a way for Paramount to sort of get ahead of the game a little bit and and at least experiment with new mediums and and try to figure out ways to uh, to get ahead of the audience and and figure out where the industry is going. So, I mean, I applaud them for giving it a shot. We'll have to wait and see if it works.
1: I I just don't think exhibitors are going to allow this to happen anytime soon with, you know, big new movies. Um, You know, that release window is something they covet a lot um but moving on uh we've been talking uh on the podcast about quentin tarantino's next movie which is set in 1969 and may or may not be about uh uh what's his name charles Manson. (laughs) charles manson yes uh and uh we are now getting our first plot details about that movie chris you wrote this up for the site what do we know
2: all right, so yeah, Charles Manson, who who just died recently, was thought to be the subject of Tarantino's next movie, and now uh, someone who's read the script has revealed some new details, and uh, I'll read what they are. It says set in Los Angeles in the summer of 1969, Tarantino's upcoming movie focuses on a male TV actor who's had one hit series and is looking for a way to get into the film business. His sidekick, who is also his stunt double, is looking for the same thing. The horrific murder of Sharon Tate and four
1: of her friends by Charles Manson's cult of followers serves as the backdrop for the story. This sounds awesome, by the way, because, uh, you know, I wanted to see him make a movie set back in Los Angeles and that that era. Uh, It's great that this is not about Manson, that this is kind of set kind of in that film business. Ben, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I I love the idea of it being, uh, yeah, Manson adjacent instead of him being the full focus.
1: Yeah. Um, Chris, what are your feelings on this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big
2: Tarantino fan, so I'm always excited for what he's doing next. Uh, I am curious on just how it's all going to unfold, because even though it's apparently not about Manson, there is still the rumor that uh, they want to cast Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. So I'm guessing Sharon Tate is actually a character in the film, but Manson isn't. I'm not really sure. I guess we'll we'll find out. Well, they the, could also the,
1: like appear on television and stuff like that. Right, but she
2: seems like too big of an actress to cast
1: as like someone in the
2: background on TV. It seems like that has to be like a somewhat meaty role if they're cast that they're going after an actress of her caliber.
1: Or maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. I don't know. I think an actress of her caliber might be willing to take a small role just to work with Quentin Tarantino. I think he's like I mean, one of the few filmmakers that could achieve that she did
2: do that cameo in, um, what was it? The big short where she's in like
1: one scene. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe she would be down for that. Uh, Lastly, in the news, before we get to the John Lasseter stuff, uh, we, we were talking last week about how Disney had uh, were in talks with Fox to buy 20th Century Fox, the, the movie division, some of their TV channels, and how that could potentially combine, uh, bring back the X-Men and Fantastic Four universes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, now we have learned that Universal and Sony are also interested in buying Fox. And uh, I'm kind of a, uh, you know, the, the fanboy side of me, you know, th- those sound a lot less interesting, but the fan- fanboy side of me wonders, you know, would that mean that they could combine the X-Men and Spider-Man universes? Ben, you wrote a whole article about this. What do we yes. know?
0: Uh, the short version is we're not entirely sure yet. So as you mentioned, uh, those talks with Disney and Fox, they ended up falling through. Nothing really has come of that yet, although it still could. That deal could still resume at some point. But uh, we have recently learned that um, Comcast, which is the parent company of Universal Pictures, uh, Verizon, the f- cell phone company, uh, and they have approached Fox about uh, acquiring, you know, those same branches, basically the the 20th Century Fox film studio and some of those same TV networks like FX. Uh, Sony's entertainment arm has also informally approached Fox with that same goal in mind. So, uh, you know, and again, I don't want to rehash what you guys talked about uh, when you brought this up. A couple weeks ago but in general i feel like if fox is acquired by a rival studio that's bad news because it's one less place that creators can go to sort of um uh you know find a home for their movies and and you you don't want uh all this consolidation in hollywood but if this were to happen uh some potentially interesting things could happen on the comic book movie front which i know a lot of our listeners are, are sort of interested in um so Uh, what could happen? So if Universal buys uh, Fox, they don't really have too many comic book properties other than the unbreakable split glass movies which aren't like traditional comic books but are sort of in the comic book movie mold so theoretically they could meet up those characters can meet up with the x-men which i feel like would be super stupid and would not make very much sense for either of those universes to collide but uh sony on the other hand has their whole sony marvel universe that they're launching which is like the movies like uh, venom and silver and black and you know it's it's like their version of marvel characters and spider-man characters that are outside of the official marvel cinematic universe so theoretically if they acquired Fox and the X-Men could meet up with like Tom Hardy's Venom character. Um, so that, that's a possibility. Uh, but we aren't really sure what the contracts look like in any of these uh, licensing deals from Marvel to you know Sony or Fox or any of these other companies. So,
1: yeah, a lot, the- a lot of people are speculating that if the studio sold to another entity, that the licensing contract would be null and void. Would basically, the rights would return to the rights holder, because that's usually what IP contracts are, are, how they're done. That, you know, that studio, like Sony, would still own all the Spider-Man movies, but, uh, or, I mean, not Sony, uh, X, uh, Fox would still own all the previous X-Men movies, but uh, going forward, the rights would free re- re- vert back to Marvel
0: yeah and that that's a possibility but because these uh, contracts aren't public we're not really sure how to verify that but um I I called Marvel trying to get an answer and nobody would give me an answer surprisingly enough but uh I mean that's not surprising at all they're not going to just talk to me but I I figured I'd give it a shot anyway but um but yeah I think uh you know there's the possibility that 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 could happen and um and, and, you know, if this were to sell, then Marvel could just, you know, reacquire all of the rights to those characters and keep everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe without any sort of glitch or, or problem at all. So um, I think for me, the the saddest thing about this is hearing that Fox is seems to be pretty serious about selling off um you know, these major aspects of their company. And th- this studio has been around for almost a century and it's not just a one-time deal where they were having, you know, flirting with Disney about possibly being acquired. They're actively taking meetings with a lot of different companies looking to offload, uh, those assets. And that's sort of a bummer because that, I mean, there's a lot of history there and, um, and yeah, you know, the conglomeration, all that stuff that we were talking about earlier, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's where we are right now.
1: No, oh, agreed. Um, Right before we started recording this podcast, some news broke that John Lasseter, the current chief creative officer of Pixar Animation Studios, Walt Disney Animation Studios, Disney Toon Studios, and a, uh, I think a chief consultant to Walt Disney Imagineering, uh, has announced a sudden leave of abstin- absence following quote-unquote missteps. Um, he released a statement, which I'll read for you right now, uh, I have always wanted our animation studios to be places where creators can explore their vision with the support and collaboration of other gifted animators and storytellers uh, this kind of creative culture takes constant vigilance to maintain it's built on trust and respect and it becomes fragile if any members of the team don't feel valued as a leader it's my responsibility to ensure that doesn't happen and i now believe i have been failing or falling short in this regard uh, i 've recently had a number of difficult conversations that have been very painful for me it 's never been it 's never easy to face your missteps, but it's only it 's the only way to learn from them as a result i 've been giving a lot of thought to the leader I am today compared to the mentor, advocate, and champion I want to be. It's been brought to my attention that I have made some of you feel disrespected or uncomfortable. That was never my intent. Collectively, you mean the world to me, and I deeply uh, apologize if I have let you down. I especially want to apologize to anyone who has ever been on the receiving end of an unwanted hug or any other gesture they felt crossed the line in any way shape or form no matter how benign my intent everyone has the right to their own boundaries and have them respected um he goes on to basically say he's had conversations with disney about this and he is stepping down uh, i think for like a six month sabbatical um he doesn't really address any of what the accusations are, but an article came out in The Hollywood Reporter touching on them. Uh, Chris, what do we know?
2: Right. So as you said, the apology he issued doesn't really acknowledge anything other than maybe hugging and making people uncomfortable. But almost immediately after the the first story came out, another story came out that uh, acknowledges um, sexual misconduct on Lasser's part that includes grabbing, kissing, making comments about physical attributes. That's a direct quote. And also the, the piece goes on to say that uh, even though Rashida Jones is still credited as one of the writers for the upcoming Toy Story 4, she actually left the project very early on in development because of unwanted advances uh, Lasser allegedly made towards her.
1: Um, yeah, and, and the article goes on to talk about uh, sources that have said other women at Pixar knew to turn their he- uh, heads quickly when encountering Lasseter to avoid his kisses. There's, I, I think this is, again, probably the tip of the iceberg of what we're hearing. It seems like um, New York Times and uh, The Washington Post were both working on stories alongside the Hollywood Reporter on Laster, And uh, this statement doesn't come out of you know nowhere this comes preemptively in my opinion uh to combat the stories that are to come and uh you know not knowing what is going to be in those stories uh but i i'm i'm betting it's probably going to be worse than what we're seeing right now uh so we've been talking about uh this on the podcast and on the site uh you know for the last couple months uh, this kind of um surge in sexual harassment and uh, assault allegations against you know big people in Hollywood uh some of who are people we admire uh John Lasseter to me uh is like Walt Disney do you know what I mean and this is like just crushing um Ben do you have any thoughts on this
0: Yeah I'm I'm sort of right there with you. I mean the guy directed Toy Story which is like one of my favorite movies and that's where it really um it, it it hurts you know hearing stuff about like this because it's it's coming from somebody who is the public face of a company that presents itself to be family friendly and that is you know unfortunately in history that's where a lot of abuse comes from is people in these positions of power um that are sort of under the uh, the the guise of being, you know, mentors and authority figures and, uh, you know, priests and stuff like that, you know, where it's like people that, that you would, uh, have no reason to doubt or people that are easily, um, that you would easily trust because of their association with uh, things that are considered to be good. And it just sucks that something like this has come out about somebody that I think we have all, uh, you know, admired the work that he's done. Um, And, and, you know, obviously he's like a huge figure in uh, not only Pixar's history, but movie history in general, you know, the as like a founding member of Pixar. This is like a big deal. Um, Chris, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, it, This is just exhausting at this point. I, I don't understand. I'm, I don't know. Maybe understand isn't the right word, but I, I can't understand why so many men in these situations can't just not be terrible. I don't get it anymore. Like, it shouldn't be hard to be. Uh, an okay person. I just don't understand why this keeps <laughs> happening again and again. It's it's just it's it's like soul crushing how it just every day there's someone else and it's I don't know. I don't think it's ever going to stop at this point. I mean, it's good that it's finally coming out. I mean, it, the stuff needs to come out, but it's it's also just draining
1: Yeah, and uh, we we don't know, uh, you know, Rashida Jones didn't comment to to The Hollywood Reporter for that piece. Uh, We don't have actually any quotes from any women uh, directly in this piece. Uh, The Lassiter letter mentions hugs. You know, he's notorious for giving hugs. Uh, I mean, uh, the Wall Street Journal once followed him around for a day, and they noted he gave hugs to 48 different people. But it seems to me at least judging from the, the you know these pieces published by Kim Masters that uh you know this is more than just you know an unwanted hug and it uh you know I'm I'm sure in the coming days we're going to hear a lot more about this about uh John Laster um and it seems to me very disappointing that you know he's just stepping down like I don't know it just this letter doesn't feel it doesn't feel it it, it, it what am I trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think
0: I think you know this is something that I've sensed that you have struggled with, uh, you know, as we all have. But I think you especially it's hit you hard um, over the past, you know, couple months reporting on all this stuff is the the concept of accountability, right? Like yeah. the the idea of of consequences to your actions, and this is something that you've pointed out with like Alamo Drafthouse, like when all of the the whole thing happened with that. Like they basically, they didn't shut down. It was just sort of like business as usual. And, um, you know, some, some steps were, were put in place for them to, you know, employees to go through some training and stuff like that. But like from the outside looking in, you couldn't really tell that there was much of a, of a change or like a serious, serious enough for you. I think, uh, like a, a scenario being, you know, that was, um, that was being made behind the scenes. And this sort of I I think if I'm allowed to to (laughs) sort of put words in your mouth, I'm guessing, you know, reading, uh, you know, what I know of you, this seems like um, in that in that same vein, something where it's like, uh, yeah, here's a public statement about this. But like, what is actually going to happen as a result of it? You know, like, what's the real end end uh, result of this whole thing? So we don't know It, it.
1: but it's not even just that, it's like uh and maybe this might be projecting of reading all these stories about Harvey Weinstein and stuff, but it, it, it certainly seems like there's more to it seems there's more to this than, you know, an unwanted hug, and it seems like if I was one of those people that got more than an unwanted hug, this would be very, very insulting. <laughs> Adam. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's the, yeah, there's plenty of that, too. And I think you're right. I think I, you know, as, you know, as sad as it is, I think we are going to hear uh, a lot more about the specific stuff that was going on here. Um, things that are that are a lot more uh, dangerous than just, oh, yeah, somebody hugged me when I didn't want to be hugged. And I mean, I'm not like minimizing that because that that alone, like small acts like that can add up over time and, and sort of um, become. Uh, uh, you know, crippling in their own way. But I think um, I, I feel like something if you've had if you have stories that are supposed to be on their way from places like The New York Times and The Washington Post, I feel like it's going to be more than just, oh, John Lasseter
1: really, really like to hug people. You know, what what effect do you think this is going to have on Pixar and Disney? I mean, John Lasseter is also, you know, not he's not directing Toy Story for but that was envisioned as a, you know, love story based on his love for his wife, Nancy. Uh, that uh, story between uh, um, Bo Peep. Woody, and Woody, yeah, Woody. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, like, is that still going to happen? Like, I, they're far along in production. What do you – what do either of you think would be the – what is going to be the result of this stuff coming out? Chris, what do you think?
2: I don't <laughs> – I don't want to sound defeatist and like negative, but I feel like (laughs) the, the, the way the world works is nothing's going to (laughs) change with like, I feel like by the time toy story comes out, we're going to already have moved on as a culture to whatever next terrible thing is happening in this never ending cycle of terribleness. I, 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 I know that sounds really negative, but I just, it just seems the way things are where right now this is a big deal and it should be a big deal, but I have this terrible feeling that, you know, in a few months, no one's going to care anymore. And
1: by that time, you know, we'll have all moved on. I don't know. I still think that this is the, not just the tip of the iceberg for the last year stuff, but I think the tip of the iceberg of, uh, us hearing about things in Hollywood, uh, and this is something that is totally unexpected totally this is probably one of the possible worst to happen for me to learn is you know someone like this uh someone you idolize uh to be a scumbag uh or possible scumbag <laughs> um uh it, i'm wondering guys is there anybody worse in hollywood that that could hit you worse than Lasseter? Uh, for me, it's like Tom Hanks and Spielberg like those are the
0: two where it's like they yeah, you know I, I would just especially Hanks like you know, that's just he's built his entire career around um, the image of being like a, a great guy and you know from all stories that we've ever heard of him before That's exactly what he's like. So if anything like that happens, I would just be I would be pretty crushed about it But you know on like a on a selfish level of like oh man like that really sucks I mean not crushed on the level of like somebody who's had something like that happen to them before in their real lives so, uh, I, you know my my disappointment would uh, pale in comparison to anybody who is actually, you know, legitimately victimized by any of these people.
1: Yeah. C- Chris, can you think of anybody that are on your like list of uh, you absolutely do not want to hear, uh, see their name in a headline that also has the word sexual assault harassment? Yeah.
2: Um, uh, uh, Spielberg
1: would also be one
2: for me. Spielberg and Scorsese are like the two names because like those two guys – are like the reason I, I love movies. Like the, like the reason I, you know, pretty much devoted my life to movies in general are, is because of Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg. And if something about them came out like this, it would really just, it would suck. It would just be really bad. Cause it would be almost like I've devoted my life to like a lie in a way. Like, oh, I, you know, I love these guys and I love their films, but they're both, you know, monsters that would just, suck I, I don't you know i don't even know how i'd process
1: that yeah it'd be yeah. You, we, we've talked a bunch about you know the people the artists affecting the art and our our opinions of the art and i i can't imagine if if we had learned you know steven Spielberg uh did stuff like that you know I mean, we're, we're talking theoretical this is not anything we know uh you know that would destroy so many movies for me i think um and i i wonder if anything we're going to learn about John Lasseter is going to affect my ability to uh, revisit some of these p- classic Pixar films. But uh...
0: Peter, do you think that um, that Pixar is going to need to find a new public face? Like, do you think that after the six month sabbatical, like Lasseter is just going to sort of um, disappear and, and not uh, come back and let's pretend that that happens. Like what, what impact would that have on the studio from the way that you, you understand that they operate?
1: Well, I mean, Laster and Ed Capemail, uh have obviously elevated Walt Disney Animation Studios to a degree that, you know, I'm more excited about their releases than the Pixar releases. Uh, the departure of John Lester, I, I think, behind the scenes, a lot of people have been talking about for a while, not because of allegations, but I think, you know, he's getting up there in age and he wants to retire. Uh, so I think... Maybe this could be a good excuse for that to happen. Uh, I know they've talked about Pete Docter, the director of Monsters, Inc., um, and uh, Inside Out, uh, possibly stepping up into that role. Um, I don't know. I I don't know what effect, you know, how much is John Lasseter responsible creatively for what we're seeing from Pixar and Disney or how much is it responsible? The, you know, the Pixar Disney brain trusts are responsible as a whole. That I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's sort of what I was getting at. Because, like, from the way I understand it, there are, you know, a, a, as much as it sucks that all this is happening, um, you know, especially to the people that it happened to and all that stuff. I, I certainly don't want to minimize any of that. But just like from a, a purely business perspective, for uh, the Walt Disney Company and and for Pixar moving forward, it seems like maybe uh, laster wouldn't be that much of a loss because that brain trust is so strong and and the entire Pixar process is so. Uh, Story-dependent, and it seems like Laster, from from the outside looking in, is just a really great manager, and and understands. Um, you know, I, I just interviewed the producer of Olaf's frozen adventure recently, and he was telling me about how Lasser would, uh, you know, come over and, and like help them through some story stuff. And like, occasionally they just go and present things to him like once a month. And he was saying how invaluable Lasser is as a resource because he just has his finger on the pulse of like the American people and like what, uh, he, he has a really good idea of what audiences respond to, but I, I can't imagine that he, that his sense of that is that much better than anybody else's in the brain, the Pixar brain trust, you know, like I feel like it it might be blasphemous to say, but I feel like he would be like fairly easily replaceable with a lot of those guys that have been around since the beginning and worked on the original toy story and, you know, have, have decades of experience at this point. So I I wonder how much um, change we would really see or experience or feel because of Lasseter's absence.
1: Yeah, but it's also interesting because a lot of those guys, it seems like, want out. Um, you know, Andrew Stanton wants to direct live action films, Brad Bird wants to direct live action films. Um it doesn't seem that they want to be the John Lasseter of Pixar. And I you know, they're still part of that Pixar brain trust, but as they you know, if if their careers pick up uh, they won't be around to go to those screenings and those creative sessions. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, we don't know. Uh, it's just. In- it's also interesting. It occurs to me that, you know, when I was growing up watching, you know, uh, the Magical World of Disney uh, as a kid on ABC, and you know, Michael Eisner would come on. He was kind of like the face of Disney. Uh, you know, uh, kind of like I guess the way Walt Disney was when he was alive, and John Lasseter has been that to a little extent. Um, it, it, it now I now realize why it's so dangerous to to have a human figurehead for your company and to represent your company on that level. Because, you know, if if that person if something happens with that person, it's it's a house of cards. You know, you you've, mm-hmm. you've basically created a company based around that person. Um, so I think uh, I, know, I know you're talking about on a uh, filmmaking level and a creative level of what impact he has on that company but I think from a public perception level it's 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 going to be uh, interesting to see what kind of impact if uh, if there are more allegations if there's actually you know people that actually come out uh, publicly which have not happened yet we should state that um, what kind of impact they'll have on Pixar and Disney as mm-hmm. brands yeah for sure okay uh, you can find more of my work on at Slash Film on Twitter. You can find Ben at Ben Pears on Twitter. You can find Chris at C Evangelista something on Twitter. C Evangelista 413. 413 on Twitter. You can find all the stories we've talked about today in the show notes uh, and on Slash You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, you can send us emails, Peter at Slash ask us questions, give us feedback. Please go to iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. And uh, oh, I should also say that uh, with this being a holiday week, we're going to be taking some days off at the end of the week. I'm not sure if we're going to have an episode tomorrow. It'll really depend on news, but Hollywood kind of shuts down uh, during these days. So we may or may not have an episode tomorrow. Uh, If we don't, I want to say uh, happy Thanksgiving to you all, and we will see you uh, next time.